it is a podcast for women of color where we talk about the issues we're facing every day, y'all. And I am your host, Karen Davis Thompson. And I am excited for my guest today. We were just talking. Uh, I follow her on social media. You follow people and you feel like you know them. And so I have Minda Hearts with me today. Hi, Minda. How are you? Hey, Karen. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I wanted to have this conversation with Minda because um, some of the things she talks about in her book, my girlfriend and I talk about it all the time. We have experienced it. Uh, if you have not read her book, The Memo, I recommend that you do so. And she's got a new book coming out. We'll talk about all of that. Uh, and so just for those who may not know, Minda, just give us a quick synopsis of what The Memo is all about. Absolutely. Uh, so The Memo really uh, is what I would call a lean-in uh, for women of color, for Black women. So a career book that focuses on the experiences of uh, Black and brown women in the workplace and what it's like for us when we try to lean in. And I know um, as I was preparing for this interview and uh, reading the book and you talk about in the beginning, the fact that you read this book, Lean In, right? It was it was about, um, you, you were excited about reading it. You thought that it was going to have some really great nuggets in it. And it was really written more from a white woman's perspective, right? Is that what you got out of it as you read the book? That is exactly what I got out of it as I read yeah. the book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I know as I, you know, as I was reading, I could res I, it really resonated with me because it happens a lot. Uh, people, when they talk about women in the workplace, they're not really talking about black and brown women. The issues that we're dealing with and what a white woman may face. Um, are definitely not the same. Obviously, inherently, we all make less than white men. We know that. But uh, there is a sense of privilege. And you talked about that a little bit in the book. If you could just get into, you know, what your feelings were as you were reading that book, what were some of your thoughts as you read that book? Yeah, you know, I, I'm happy that Sheryl Sandberg wrote Lean In. Uh, for those who haven't read it, um, it was called The Women's Manifesto. And as you said, I was very excited to read it because I had been reading so many career books that I never really saw myself in them. I would take bits and pieces of information that I felt I could use and try to tailor to my situation, but I never felt like they were talking to me. I felt like I was an asterisk or an addendum. And when I heard about Lean In, I thought, oh, wow, she must be doing something different than these other books. So, you know, I'm, I'm here for it, right? I'm, I'm ready for to, to get my read on. And then I read it. And for me, it was a little disheartening because it was really talking about what it's like when you get to lean in, when you're already in the room and when you have a sense of privilege. And it also reminded me that we don't have enough books about the intersections of women. Just because we're women in the workplace doesn't mean we experience the workplace the same, even as women, right? There's um, all women experience some form of discrimination, but let's be honest, there are hierarchies to the oppression, right? And black and brown women um, experience the workplace completely different than our counterparts. And, and that's what really led me to interrogate and investigate what does it mean to be a woman in the workplace? It doesn't mean the same thing for all of us. And would you say that after reading it, was that when you thought, you know what, I've read several books, I'm not finding myself, I can't see myself represented, so I'm just going to write my own. Was it after reading that book that you thought, you know what, I'm looking for something that maybe does not exist? Well, it's funny that you asked that question, Karen, because I didn't necessarily think after reading it right away that I should write one, even though, you know, Toni Morrison said, write the book you want to read. But I was more so battling my own workplace um, hell, if you will. I was going through a really tough time in the workplace as the only one when I was reading Lean In. And so it really just made me think about, wow, uh, 
some people just don't even know what it's like to be us, <laughs> to be the only one, to be one of few. And it was through that where I thought, okay, what, what who's who's advocating on our behalf? You know, um, and I didn't see there was a lot of that in the workplace. And so it took a couple of years before I had the courage to think that I could have the audacity to put my own uh, version of, of uh, my experience out there. And so in many like you said, many of our experiences similar. And so it was a couple years after that I thought, wow, we need a book for us that uh, addresses some of the things that we can shake our heads up and down and be like, yeah, me too. And let me tell you about it. You know, we, we just needed that for us. And when would you say was one of the first times that you experienced it in the workplace? Like, I know we talk about it. We feel that we're prepared for it. And then you have, you know, that experience and it's like, as as prepared as I thought I was when I first experienced it, it was like, is this really happening? <laughs> you know? Yeah, so yeah. what was it like for you? Like, when was the first time you really remember, dang, this thing is really not the same for me as a, as a black woman or a person of color, a, a woman of color in here? When, when did that experience happen for you? And what did you do? What was it like? Yeah. You know, to your point, we often, even before we get into the workplace, we hear the 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 advice, you know, you got to work twice as hard for half as much, keep your head down, you know, don't rock the boat. You hear all of these like, quote unquote, <laughs> greatest hits. And so you think you are prepared hearing it and kind of knowing it, um, but you don't know until you actually experience it. And it wasn't until um, I was in corporate America working my first corporate job and I had a manager who saw that I had burnt orange fingernail polish on and he said, you people love your bright colors. And he joked around for 15 minutes about how black people like bright colors. And, and that turned into an everyday type of thing with him. There was some uh, racialized aggression in the workplace and I did not know how to, to deal with it. I didn't know if I could, if I should, many people probably feel that way because now we get met with, Oh, you took it the wrong way, or that's not what I meant, or, you know, just have thick skin. And so being in those environments, you start to realize that, oh, I guess this is just how it's going to be for us. And so I didn't think I had the agency to speak up. And so at that, at, in those early career moments, I didn't. I just said, okay, well, maybe John doesn't mean any harm, right? And that was the story that I would tell myself as a coping strategy. But I realized that um, it really hurt me more than anything at the expense of my own well-being. You know, I remember thinking once that I was getting ready and it's really sad. And I don't know if you experienced this or if people who've read the book and have reached out to you, you almost find yourself second guessing, you know, what you wear, how you wear your hair, all of those things, because there is such a uh, an attention that's brought to it. And they they make it seem like, you know, when black people, you know, do their hair differently or whatever, it's like this anomaly. It's 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 something to stand up and talk about. Um, and I remember once I was applying for a job and I had uh, braids, but very, you know, tastefully done, whatever. And I thought, oh, God, I have this interview. What am I going to do? Like, I, I don't know many yep. white women who worry about that when they get ready to go. They're <laughs> like, are my, is my hair going to be seen as like too, you know, ethnic or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, and so I can relate. So when you finally felt comfortable speaking up, what, how was it taken? What did people say to you when you finally, um, you know, said something about how you were feeling about the comments that were being made. Yeah, well, it took a long time before I found courage to be able to speak up on it because I realized that it was causing me more harm than anything. And I was so concerned about not 
I, I was so concerned about walking on eggshells, not trying to come across as angry black woman or whatever the tropes that they try to put put on us that I realized that I was making excuses uh, for these people. And um, I realized, like Lauren Hill said, respect is just a minimum. And I realized that that should be table stakes. That should be like, uh, we should all start with equity and dignity and respect in the workplace. And when I realized that I wasn't being afforded that, like my colleagues, then I realized that I had the power to be able to let people know what good looks like to me. And it took small acts of courage. You know, I didn't call out everything. Otherwise, I would that would have been a part-time job. But the things that really bothered me, right, or if it was a focus on my hair, then I felt at times that I had the agency to say, hey, you know, yeah, I, I understand you might not mean harm, but I really feel uncomfortable when you always bring up something about my hair, right? And and divorcing myself from what they feel once I've said it, because I have to set some boundaries with the people around me because I'm driving myself crazy and they don't even know that, or maybe don't even care that it's bothering me. But I have to let someone know <laughs> that if it bothers me enough, then I need to let you know that. And I can do that authentically, tastefully, professionally, whatever, you know, adjectives. But um, it's I felt like it was time, Karen, for people to understand that, no, you can't just treat me any kind of way. And just because I'm smiling doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Right. And sometimes the scars that you don't see are the ones that hurt the most. Which I definitely uh, want to get into more as we talk about your second book, um, because I feel like, you know, it, it'll be it'll be a great help for people who are dealing with the scars and the wounds that come from dealing with that day in and day out. Um, but before I jump too far ahead of myself, so you you have a little bit of time to ponder, OK, this book really didn't do it for me. And now you decide, I think I feel comfortable enough to write what I think women of color need to know in this corporate space. Uh, and so you start the process. So what, what was it like? Were you um, still really nervous? Did you think, you know what? I think I've learned enough that I really have something that I can share. And what was the process of writing the book like for you? Yeah, I appreciate that question because um, I, so one thing I'll say is a, a word that I really hang on to with almost everything I have is the word courage. And the definition of courage is the ability to do something that frightens one. I was extremely afraid to A, speak up, but then number two, write a book about some of the things that we only talk about behind closed doors, right? That we don't talk about um, or that we weren't talking about inside the workplace at that time. And so I also felt a little um, imposter syndrome because I'm like, well, you know, who am I to be able to write this book, <laughs> you know, talking about these things? Maybe somebody with more experience should do it. But what I realized was that I have the ability, we all have the ability to tell our story and, and experiences and hope that somebody else can be a beneficiary of our courage. I am a direct beneficiary of so many black women that have come before me uh, once I know their names, once I don't know their names, but I am a I can walk in this world because of their courage. They took the sacrifice. And I realized that if I could do that for myself, if I could do that for somebody else, then maybe they would be able to do it for themselves and do it for somebody else. And we leave the workplace better than we found it. And so I really just said, you know, I'm going to tell my story and I'm also going to share that our stories don't have to end in pain, right? We can still build a career where we can be happy with, we can thrive and not just survive. And I believed in that. And I found an agent uh, who believed in that too. And eventually we found a publisher that believed in that too. But it was really difficult at first because at the time there were five major publishers 
four of them said no to the memo because they didn't feel like this was a problem in the workplace. And sometimes when you don't have people, again, who have had the same experiences as you, they would try to dismiss that these things are not happening. But as you and I both know, um, over the last year, these things are very real <laughs> and, and companies and organizations are leaning into the conversation that we've been wanting to have for a very long time. They're finally catching up to us. Which I think is so sad, you know, what has had to happen over the last year um, for people to take note. Uh, and, and one of the things I always worry about, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts, and then I'd like to know a little bit more about the uh, way the book was received uh, by some of your colleagues once you had written it. But what always concerns me is, are we really interested in having these discussions or is it almost like black is in right now, if you know what I mean? You know, nobody wants to be caught not doing something. Or do you get a sense that people really are in most spaces interested in now trying to understand what we've been talking about, what the memo talked about, what we've talked about behind closed doors to one another for years? Do you really get a sense that corporations and companies really are trying to do a better job understanding? Or do you sometimes get a sense that it's like, okay, this is the thing to do right now and nobody wants to be caught not doing something in that space? You know what? I think it's yes and. <laughs> I think there's a lot of companies who uh, they're just saying the thing because they know that they don't want to be like, you know, left out in the cold. They don't want to be seen as, you know, an inequitable, unequitable workplace. Uh, but I do believe that that's an opportunity for us and our colleagues to hold our companies accountable for equity. But I think only time will tell uh, what companies do through their demonstration, right? So if a year ago, if there were companies that said Black Lives Matter, I'm starting to go back and look at their About Us pages. I'm looking at some of their diversity reports to say, hmm, did they move the needle on the things that they said was said were important? And if not, why aren't they doing that? And then I would also encourage, you know, your listeners, if you're looking for a company or organization and you hope that it's a little more equitable than the one you just left, look at what they said a year ago and look at their about us pages today, look at their diversity numbers and see if they've actually made strides. But I think now we have some receipts where we can, you know, before it was just, Oh yeah, diversity, equity, inclusion is here, but we didn't really have anything we could point to and to be able to kind of track it. But now we actually can go back and see. And also Karen, we can see what companies didn't say anything, right? So <laughs> because there are some companies that never even said Black Lives Matter. It did not acknowledge George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or many others. And so I think now we actually have some there there where we can actually say, okay, now I know. Before I might have just felt it and feelings are important, right? But now we also have some data to go along with those feelings. And that will really give us um, some data going forward. And I think those are the companies that win at the end of the day, the ones that are demonstrating it in action and not just in name only. And I think that's a really good point, you know, to do our research. Um, it's incumbent upon us to do that because I do worry that some people are just paying lip service uh, because it's the thing to do right now. Uh, so you write this book, The Memo, and it's published. And now what reaction did you get, one, uh, from colleagues and those around you who were not people of color um, when the book came out and it began to gain in popularity? Yeah, you know, the the memo was a, a very interesting because um, when I put the book out, you know, I wasn't famous. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have a lot of followers. You know, I, I didn't have some of those things that 
some of, you know, my fellow authors have when they put books out there. And um, so it took a little while for people to be like, oh, well, who is this girl writing this book, right? Um, so it took a little time. And uh, to your point, there were quite a few companies who were still not ready to have those difficult conversations right away. So it took some some more time to really um, get people to understand that we have a unique opportunity to make the workplace better for everybody. And I started to hear from, you know, past colleagues and I started to hear from um you know, white men and women, because I did write the book centering on women of color, black and brown women, but I also wrote it hoping that they would read it so that they could show up as better allies, uh, what I call success partners, better managers, better leaders, because you can't be an ally if you don't understand our story, our experiences. And so overall, I would say 95% of uh, the feedback that I've received has been very, um, welcoming and uh, it's allowed, you know, black women and brown women to feel seen for the first time in a career book um, for some. And then for white colleagues to say, wow, I didn't realize I was causing this harm and here's an opportunity for me to, to be better. And so um, I think that both parties are were better for, for content like this. And when would you say you realized Okay, this thing is maybe going to change my life. This book is, you know, you, when did you when did you wake up and go, uh, yeah, <laughs> things are a little different. When did that when that when did that shift start to happen? I think the to be honest, I I think um, once I started hearing from more uh, black and brown women, like in my inbox, and when I had the opportunity to be on Morning Joe uh, on MSNBC, and then. Um, when LinkedIn named me the number one top voice for equity in the workplace, I'm like, what? How did that, how did that happen? You know what I mean? But it was just um, through, you know, doing, doing the work and, and staying true to what I've started doing in 2015. But, um, you know, I had no idea, Karen, when I was crying in that car in 2013, that it would lead to this. And what was it like when you first got those calls? Like, you know, I always dream of, I, I'm a little different. I was a, I was a news kind of nerd growing up. I was a journalism major <laughs> in college. So, you know, a lot of people I interviewed, like I interviewed a woman who just wrote a children's book and, you know, for her, she would feel like success is being on Oprah. Well, I want to be on like Good Morning America, the Today Show. That, mm-hmm. That's, that's <laughs> success to me, right? So when did you get that call or that email? And, and it was like one of those things that you, dream about, but never thought was going to happen. What was that moment for you? Oh, uh, you know, I really love this question because I don't get asked it very often. And so I don't get to tell the story too often. But the moment when I really felt like, wow, Minda, <laughs> what, what's going on here? You know, thank you, Jesus, uh, for this opportunity was um, right. when uh, a woman had reached out to me on Instagram in my direct messages. And she said, you know, I have a friend who just read the memo and she's a big fan of your work. Can I introduce you to her? Now, I didn't know this woman who had reached out to me. Somebody had gifted her the book and um, she's a well-known woman. So I was very much um, surprised to hear from her. And then she made the connection. She didn't tell me who it was. And then it ended up being um, Mrs. Michelle Obama's um, like right-hand woman (laughs) had read the book and we connected in that moment. And um, she thanked me for the book. And she said her small group of women, um, friends and colleagues are reading the memo. And so we stayed in touch. And then several months later, I was speaking at a conference right before COVID uh, shut things down in Las Vegas. And 
lo and behold, uh, Mrs. Michelle Obama, she was also on the docket to speak at the same conference. So I reached back out to the woman I had been corresponding with, um, China, and I said, you know, I would love to meet Mrs. Obama. I'd love to meet you as well. <laughs> you know, can we make this happen? And then getting to meet them both, um, but meeting the former first lady and having a picture with her. And it, it was just like surreal. Um, I have it in my office here just to remind me of um, just just those those moments that you just can't even write yourself, right? You don't have to, when, when it's meant to be, you don't have to beg, you don't have to do anything different. Things will just show up the way they need to. And I, and I'm forever really grateful for that moment. I know that. Yeah. I'm here. I'm talking about the today show girl. You done met the former first lady of the United States. I know even just to be on the same, I, I mean, what was it like just to be, just to know that I'm speaking at the same conference as Michelle Obama, like, I'm going to pinch myself now and see, you know, that that was enough for me. Right. Karen, that was enough. I was like, wow, this just to be on my name in the same like graphic as her (laughs) is like amazing. But then when I actually got a chance to meet her and was like vetted for that whole process, I just could not believe it. I literally um, had to like talk myself like, don't cry, get your words out, you know, all those sorts of things that you that you want to do. But it just meant so, so much to me because um, she was representation that mattered to me and to also to see that and, and also just for her to say congratulations on your book and and those sorts of things. And it just it, it was a very special moment that I'll, I'll never forget. I bet you won't forget it. I know. I just hearing the story, it's like you don't get to tell the story. I'm <laughs> telling anybody who listened. I met Michelle Obama. <laughs> they yeah, be tired awesome. of hearing the story. I bet you it was. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did writing the memo help you uh, as you walked through and kind of had to relive some of the things that you went through? You know, I know sometimes my girlfriend and I guess you don't realize. You know, trauma is a heavy word, mm-hmm. but you don't realize some of the scars that you hold on to from the stuff that you went through at, you know, former jobs, you know, where I've had them question my degree because I went to HBCU. Mm-hmm. Like, does she have a degree? You know, or all that type of stuff that you you don't realize you're holding on to. So what was it like for you writing the book and, you know, kind of going back through those things and telling your experience? Yeah, it, it is heavy. And I didn't realize I didn't realize how heavy it would be to, because before when I was on physical book tour, I was, I went to like 53 cities on book tour and I'd be telling these stories night after night, sometimes two events and three events in a day. And I would still get choked up on some of the stories. And I realized that I thought that I was over some of the the past toxicity, but I realized that um, I still had some scarring, right? I still had some, some PT, post-traumatic stress disorder still there from certain things. And then when you meet other women who tell you their stories, you feel their pain too, right? And so I, I realized going through all those cities, receiving the, the messages that I do from people is that um, many of us have moved on, yes, but we're still suffering from some of that pain. Um, and there's healing that needs to take place, not just in in them, but in myself too. Um, and there were things that I did heal from, but there were certain areas that were still really tender. And it made me start to think about um, what does it mean for us to truly be free, right? Especially from experiences that should have never happened in the first place. But it was definitely hard. And even 
Um, I know we're not, we're going to get to it, but even recording my, the memo audio book and recording my next book right within, there were things that still telling the story that, and it happened many years ago, but it's still, I had to take a, tell the engineer, I need a minute, right? Because I still, when we think about those things, it still feels like it was yesterday. And I think that that's what a lot of our counterparts um, don't understand that, that those things, they move on and look at another meme or cat picture, but we still remember those things very fresh. Absolutely. And I think it, it's a good segue into getting into the new book uh, because, you know, I wondered if part of it, you know, the the um, emphasis for writing it was about, hey, I've met all these women who really still have this stuff they haven't healed from and I'm noticing it in myself. Was that what kind of inspired you to write this next book right within? Absolutely. You you nailed it. Um, I realized that there was this um, collective like um, joy of being able to read a book and resonate with it. But there was always also this trauma that I was feeling in myself and I was seeing in the eyes and the messages. And I realized that um, the burden shouldn't be ours to carry, but we can help each other tell the truth and validate our experiences and let go of what we can. And when I started to think more about that, I realized that we have to give ourselves space to reaffirm our value first to ourselves, then to everyone else in the boardroom. And that's when I started to think about Lauren Hill's song, um, Do Wop, How You Gonna Win If You Ain't Right Within. And I started to fig- started to write, and that's where the next book came from. And what is one thing that you hope people, uh, when they read the book, will walk away from um, after they read your new book, Right Within? I really hope that people will feel a little freer. Um, I think that we've been in many workplaces, whether you've been there 20 years, five years, five minutes. There are certain things that only we have to experience. And oftentimes um, we don't have anyone to to stand up for us, right? We don't have, we have to keep going through our day having just been racially aggressed um, and still keep it moving. And, and, that isn't healthy for us. And I feel like a lot of that toxicity, it spills over into our personal lives. It spills over into our health. And I want us to be able to pack a little bit lighter. And um, we don't have to wait for our managers to take the unconscious bias training. We don't have to wait for anybody else. Healing starts with us. Which is so true. And, you know, as I I told you, I have a girlfriend who's also a big fan of yours. And as I was telling her, I was going to be doing this interview. And when I um, started looking into what the new book was going to be about. I, I guess I hadn't even put it together that that really is a form of trauma. There are scars there from having to every day look for where the blow is going to come from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? And and holding on to that. And she and I went through an experience together, uh, you know, in communications. Um, you're often the only person of color in the room. There may be one or two of you. Um, and so in this case, it was the two of us. And the way that we were treated, you know, even though it's been years ago, like I've, you know, I've, we've both been gone from that particular place for years, but we still, sometimes when we talk about it, there are are things about it that still get to us or something happens where you're working now and it triggers you to what you went through six, seven years ago. Um, And so what was it like writing that book? Did you have an opportunity to find those places where, wow, this is really still raw for me and I need to figure out how to be free from that. Did you find those you know, those spaces for yourself as you were writing it? 
Yeah, I did. Um, You know, um, Dr. Martin Luther King said racism distorts the personality. And I realized that all of the experiences I had in my 15 year prior career, it started to distort who I was. You know, when people say bring your authentic self to work, well, if you're walking on eggshells, if you're trying not to be the angry black woman, if you're trying not, you're trying to figure out what hairstyle is going to be appropriate for today where people won't talk about it, you know, that starts to distort who you authentically are. And I started to recount where um, when I started therapy, right, way back when. So I actually talk about um, going to a therapist and talking about my racial trauma. And I talked about tools that helped me get through a lot of hard situations. But then I also realized, to your point, there were triggers in certain environments where I thought I was okay with this. But then once I moved to a new environment, some of those same triggers will steer, was still there. And I just realized that maintenance is also required, right? Because just because we get our healing, we may go to a new environment but those people don't have their healing, right? So what do we have to do to make sure that we maintain our well-being, even in some toxic environments that we might be met with, but ultimately figuring out what freedom looks like to us? Um, I thought about our ancestors that came before us. Uh, many of them didn't have an opportunity to truly be free. And what would it look like if we figure out what freedom looks like so we can pass that on to the next generation to break some of that generational trauma in the workplace. And um, I'm just really excited for this next book, Karen, because I I do believe that uh, when we are free, um, so many more people will get, get more, get the better version of us, but ultimately we'll be the best version for ourselves. You hear that a lot. And I often wonder, I don't even know who that is. Like, you know, because (laughs) there's just so much that goes on in the workplace. So I am here for girl freedom for sure because I'm still I've been in the workplace a minute and I'm still trying to figure out what version of Karen can I bring to work and have the least amount of problems out of y'all today right (laughs) and I I want that for you Karen I want that for all of us right to figure out who is that person right because we don't know because we've been told who we have to always show up and be and it's like okay well Who's talking to Bob about his authentic self? Because his authentic self is causing a lot of harm, right? You know, so let, let's really get into it. And um, I think that it's important for us just to have permission to number one, if nothing else, if people read right within and they're like, mm, I don't know if I'm ready for healing. It's a state we should attempt to try to get to because we'll be so much better for it. And again, healing is not for them. It's for us. Which is so true. And I think it's hard to remember that sometimes that this work is not about the other person. Um, It is about, you know, us being okay. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the place I know I want to get to, to be able to say what I need to say about it and keep it moving. You know, but a lot of times, even when you address it, it's still, it's like there, you know, like the one that really gets me, it sends me somewhere. And I'm asking the Lord to help me. <laughs> it's when they tell me how well-spoken I am. I ju- it just sends me somewhere yeah. I should not go. In my mind, you know, I don't say out loud what I'm thinking, but it kills me when they talk about how well I speak. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, like people conjugate verbs regularly. That one gets me every time. <laughs> so when I read the book, I'm going to be trying to figure out how can I get yes. some healing from that one. <laughs> <laughs> one step at a time, one, one step at a time. But I, I think we all deserve to know what healing and freedom feels like because um for too long we've been stifled and um and and it's time for us to let people know what good looks like to us and and the only way we're going to change the workplace for the better 
is if we um, say what we need to say in the right way, right? And I talk about that in the book, but uh, it's time for for us to have, it's it's our time in a real way, not just, um, you know, on these pretty hashtags and all that stuff. I'm talking about real life, right? <laughs> like I want us to really be able to to know what it feels like uh, to, to show up and be the, the version of ourselves that we want to be and everybody else can figure out how to adapt to that. Which I guess, you know, you just helped me answer that question. You know, the version is who I want to be. And then the rest mm-hmm. of y'all figure out how you're going to deal with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, as opposed to me trying to figure out what I need to do so that I don't cause issues over here. I just need to be me and the rest of y'all figure out how you're going to handle that. <laughs> I mean, you know, so yeah. Exactly. That, that was really helpful. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. <laughs> I have my therapy session while I'm talking to you. <laughs> so tell me a little bit and then we'll definitely talk about uh, how people can um, be ready for when this book comes out. But what is life like for you today? You know, with the speaking engagements, you have the podcast. Uh, what is it like for you today um, since you've written this book and it has changed your life? You've even met the first lady. So what is life like for you now? Um, you know, I, it, it's I'm still doing work just like everybody else, right? But I realized that um, it's just my responsibility and I believe um, it's a privilege to be able to speak um, on behalf of uh, black and brown women who have experienced certain things and may not have figured out because of the pain and the trauma, how to articulate it. And so, uh, you know, I, I spend my days um, thinking about equity, working towards equity, but um, I just finished uh, recording right within the audiobook, So that took a, a little bit of time. And then I have a third book that I just finished that comes out March, 2022. And, um, so yeah, for for the next few months anyway, I will definitely be on the on the book hamster wheel. <laughs> so that's what life is like right now. And how about the podcast? Why was that something you thought you wanted to do? Secure the seat, right? Yes, secure the seat. Um it, you know, it's important we talk a lot about tables and chairs and and things like that, but it's one thing to have a seat at the table, but it's one thing to secure it knowing that we deserve to be there. Uh I often say that, you know, I enter e- Every room I belong in, but not every room deserves to have me. And I think that when we do find a room or build a table that feels good to us, then we don't have to question why we were invited into that room. We don't have to question ourselves and our expertise, but secure the seat. That means you sit down, you own it, you take up space, and you make sure that you provide more seats for others that look like you. And so that's what secure the seat means, not just getting your seat and pushing up, putting your feet on the table and leaning back with your hands behind your head. It's about making sure that you're bringing more uh, black and brown women in the room with you. And um, that's just a, another extension of uh, the curriculum and content that I want to make sure that black and brown women feel seen in the career narrative. I love when I see it, when we bring others along with us, um, because that's what white people do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they <laughs> they secure that seat for themselves and either for the generations after them or for you know, their friend or whomever. I mean, they they are excellent at it. And so I love it when we have that opportunity and we uh, take advantage of it as well. Even though it's interesting when we do it, that's another one of those things that, you know, can lead to a trauma. It's, it's like, oh, you know, they almost accuse you of doing something wrong when they do it all of the time. Um, and so before we go, I definitely want to let people know where they can go uh, to get there, to secure their copy of Right Within <laughs> and what the release date is for your next book. Thank you so much. Uh, October 5th is the date. So make sure you get a copy for you and for your friend because we don't let our friends um, 
not get their healing too. Uh, but you can go to mendahearts.com and all of my information is there where you can, you can buy the book wherever you like to buy your books, but my links on all social media platforms are there. So whatever your favorite is, connect with me on it. We will do that. And I will definitely make sure my friend Janine gets her copy too. Cause she was like, yeah, that's my girl. You got to tell her. I said, Hey, so, so I have proof that I hey girl, that hey. when, she listens to this, <laughs> when she listens to this episode. Minda, I just wanted to thank you for your time. And I'll be sure to put everything in the show notes so that people know how they can reach out to you, um, how they can listen to your podcast, how they can order the book. I'll definitely be getting my copy. Um, that's all the time we have for today. If there's anything you want to hear us talk about on In My Shoes, you know what to do. Hit me up at KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. Again, that is KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. That is all the time we have for this episode. So until the next time, be blessed. <laughs>